All right, this is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, thank you for listening today. Please follow us on social media and subscribe. Let us know what you think of today's episode. We are joined by a fellow Mountaineer podcaster, Coos from Coos Corner on YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Tyler Brandon, it's great to be with you guys today. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Lots of stuff to dive into today. We have conference uh, realignment, obviously WVU sports, but uh, we always like to get to learn a little more about our guests. So uh, Coos, when did you become a Mountaineer fan and are you from the state of West Virginia? I'll answer the last question first. I am. I, I, I was born and raised in West Virginia. I've lived here my whole life. I became a fan, really. I've grown up a fan. My dad was a fan and he and I grew up watching games together. And uh, it's kind of in my DNA, I guess. Uh, when did you start creating content? And was it always uh, centered around WVU? I started creating content in August of last year, right after the first round of, you know, the Texas-Oklahoma news broke. That's kind of what got me invigorated to do this. And then uh, what was the other question? Uh, uh, what's what's it always WVU yeah. sports? With, yeah, yeah, it's basically – that's my initial <laughs> – it's funny, my initial intent was to do – WVU football or WVU sports and and music because I'm a big music buff. But then as I got to studying YouTube, I realized if you do multiple subjects, your videos never go anywhere. So I just honed in, honed in on West Virginia uh, sports. And of course I do do, uh, I don't, I don't do only West Virginia, but West Virginia is my focus. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't realize you've been doing it. Um, you know, for such a short span, uh, that's pretty much when we started as well. We've, you know, we we haven't even been doing this for a year yet. So we we're all breaking in together, then, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> what kind of music do you like? I'm more of a rock guy, hard rock guy. Same here. Yeah, like Led Zeppelin, the old rock. I'm um, ACDC, Metallica, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then I like I like a lot of the new stuff. Shine Down, Breaking Benjamin, nice. Uh, Skillet, Corn. Nice. Yeah, that's good stuff. Very nice. Um, uh yeah so let's get right into all this stuff so expansion is a big topic as of late with usc and ucla heading to the big 10 dennis dodd from cbs sports announced that the big 12 wants to add arizona arizona state utah and colorado and washington and oregon are also being considered so what are your thoughts on all of this chaos in college sports lately well as a as a content creator i love it because it gives us content right Oh, yeah. as, a, as a college football fan, I'm torn because on one hand, I mean, we love our regional rivalries, man. We love our, you know, the regional appeal of college football, which as a West Virginia fan, we we lost, what, 10 years ago, which sucks. But uh, but on the other hand, if as a West Virginia fan, if we can get those six teams and strengthen the Big 12 conference, I think it's I think it's a home run. I think it's something they have to do. Uh, but as a West Virginia fan, man, I, it's going to make travel even harder. It's going to make recruiting harder. So I, I, it's, I don't think it's great for us, but it's great for the conference. And I guess it, if it helps us stay at the quote unquote big boy table, I guess it's, you know, we have to live with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like I'm torn because you kind of just have to accept this it. just the way college sports mm-hmm. are going. But it, it does stink because. Yeah, now we're playing, we're going to be playing teams. It seems like all the way over on the West Coast, teams that we have no like old rivals with 
And I don't know about you, but in the Big 12, it just feels like we don't even have a rival anymore. Like, of course, you get up for Texas and Oklahoma, but, um, you know, there's there's not that hated rival like we had in the Big East. I agree. And I miss that. Uh, and that's really the only re- I mean, I like the Big 12. It's it's a it's a I feel like there's a lot of parity. There's more parity other than Oklahoma and Tech, which Texas has not been that good. So but other than Oklahoma, there's been some some parity in the conference, which is good because you feel like you can win every week. But at the same time, man, I miss those rival games. And that's really the only reason I have I have any desire to go to the ACC at this point is just to get those old rivalries back. Were it not for that, I really wouldn't care. Uh, and, of course, the money, too, right now in the ACC, ACC wouldn't be any better either. So, um, But anyway, I, I, I do miss the regional rivalries, man. The, the backyard brawl, Black Diamond Trophy game, I mean, that's, you know, that's what us Mountaineer fans – live for every lived for every every year man oh yeah i feel like too it it hurts the turnout of the games too because i remember whenever i was at wvu you know that was we were still in the big east then and you know the call the, the student section was always filled you know unless we were getting blown out or you know we we're playing some crap school but ever since it switched to the to big to the big 12 you know, the turnout from the, co- the student section has even dwindled a little bit. I mean, I feel like if you're a season ticket holder, you're still going to the games, but the students aren't riled up because there's not that regional, you know, like Tyler said, hatred. Right. Because, um, you know, we're pulling in kids from New Jersey, Virginia, Pennsylvania. And when you're playing teams from those states, their home states, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, a, you know, it's a reason to come out. Absolutely. I agree with you, man. I agree. There's just not the same amount of excitement. And that and that's what and that's happening all across the country. I mean, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. I mean, you're going to have someone in LA playing someone from New York or or even Maryland. I mean, it's just it's nuts. A West Coast playing an East Coast team. It's just nuts, man. I just don't understand. Money is ruling everything right now in college sports. Uh, I don't want to say it's ruining it because we're all still going to watch. I, I'm sure, but uh, I think it's going to get to a point where folks like us who are diehard Mountaineer fans it may get less appealing to turn on a game and watch somebody else play, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you feel like the Big 12 is, you know, even if it is adding these four or six schools from the Pac-12, do you think that's enough to keep it afloat? Or do you think eventually the Big 10 and SEC are just going to rule everything? I don't know. I, th- I think it depends on what teams we get. If we can get Oregon and Washington, I think it would be huge. If we only get the, the four corner schools, I guess the Southwest schools, the Arizona's and the, uh, you know, Utah and uh, Colorado, then I, I don't know if that's enough, to be honest. Uh, Utah, I think is. And I know, I know you get the Denver market, but man, you, all of those are pro sports teams. All of those are pro sports states. Mm-hmm. College teams in those states don't have the same amount of zeal or draw as a team like West Virginia or Kansas or Kansas State or Iowa State. These teams that don't have these states that don't have pro sports teams. So I just don't know how much it helps us, to be honest with you, other than just adding more inventory for the networks. I think that's really what it boils down to is they need inventory to bring more value to the conference. I think it's at the end of the day, it all comes down to the TV dollars and and it will probably help that. But what I look for, even if we do get Oregon and Washington, it wouldn't surprise me for the Big Ten to come and take them in two years. Yeah. So. But, I completely agree with that. But we can enjoy yeah, I it mean, class, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, and, you know, this new look, Big 12, even without adding those schools, I'm kind of excited about because, 
you know, it feels a little bit more like the old Big East mm-hmm. once in Oklahoma leaves where, you know, you have a lot of parity at the top. You have a lot of competition and it feels like it's going to be wide open or it should. And those were great because, you know, like in the Big East, whenever it was us in Louisville and um, I'm blanking on the other, you know, Rutgers was up there too. South Florida. Um, South Florida. Yeah. I mean, we, we were always battling it out. It was fun. <laughs> um, we were always competitive. <laughs> Uh, we were winning conference championships, which is great, but it was also, you know, you had those, like we said before, the rivalry games where, you know, the games meant more. And even though we didn't have Pitt in them then, the games were really fun. And it felt like, you know, whenever they were on national TV too, they were always a big, big watch, a big draw for people mm-hmm. um, where, you know, maybe the new look Big 12 with U- U- UCF, um, Cincinnati, BYU, et cetera, um, should be more competitive, but like you said with the TV dollars, you know, you, you probably have to add in those other schools. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. The parity, I think we're going to have more parity, like I mentioned earlier. But uh, at the end of the day, if we want to stay relevant as a conference, we've got to have teams that move the needle more. Let's just face it. I mean, West Virginia's without, – without these four additions, West Virginia would arguably be the top brand with Oklahoma State maybe. In, in the conference and we're like 30th we're, we're like 30th in the country or something as far as tv viewership goes or something like that so we're a top 30 program basically in value and, and tv viewership but is is but is that enough to compete with the secs and the big tens of the world you know that's 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 what's uh worrisome that's why oh, i think yeah. we need an oregon or a, and a washington in the league to help with that and that's what like makes you kind of wonder about you know, with these new super mega conferences joining, like it feels like WVU should be more marketable because even though we do have a lower population and, you know, maybe we don't have, you know, the big cities that other teams do, I think the the ratio of people in the state who watch the games compared to our population is probably amongst the highest in the country. I mean, it would have to be. Oh, I would say um, so. I mean – where the W views the professional team of West Virginia. And yeah. if you're a West Virginia alum, I mean, I feel like once Mountaineer, always Mountaineer isn't something that's over exaggerated. Um, so I, you know, it just kind of baffles me sometimes whenever you see some of these, you know, USC and UCLA make sense, but like with the ACC and, you know, the big 10 and the SEC, the way that they're expanding, obviously taking some very big schools, but like, you know, you have schools like Louisville who are getting an ACC over WVU, Syracuse, Pitt, et cetera. Um, in the SEC, you know, this is decades ago, but you have like Missouri going in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like WVU is more valuable than that. And, um, you know, I it, it just seems like with the chatter, um, WVU is kind of becoming a little bit of an afterthought. Um, so I'm really hoping that we end up on our feet in all this because mm-hmm. I love WVU sports as we all do. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a worrisome time. <laughs> I really agree. I think we're one of those. I've heard the term tweener. I think we're one of those tweener teams where we're we're valuable, but are we valuable enough to move the needle for a for a conference like a Big Ten or an SEC? That's that's the. I think we would move the needle for an ACC personally. Now a lot of people disagree with that. I've, I've argued with commenters and and viewers of my videos on that multiple multiple times. Um, because a lot of people don't think we do. Uh, but you know what? Uh, West Virginia has always been disrespected. West Virginia has always been looked down upon by other fan bases, by others, 
some in the media, I think, look down on West Virginia. ESPN, in my opinion, has been disrespected West Virginia a lot, not just by picking against us, but just some of the nonchalant crap they say in general about the state. I mean, just stuff that just shouldn't – the professional broadcaster shouldn't be saying, in my opinion. But uh, it's we have an us-against-the-world mentality, and I think it's always going to be that way. So folks like us, uh, which is one of the things – I love about the platform is it gives us a voice, gives us an opportunity to uh, wave the flying WV, so to speak, uh, and give a voice to West Virginia University and, and its program. And I think, and I think we're making some progress, but we got to keep at it, guys. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. The other interesting thing is, like over <clears throat> the past ten years, a majority of Mountaineer fans, if you gave us the choice to leave and go to the ACC, we all would have been all over it. But recently, you know, with the rumors of maybe um, Miami and Florida State being taken from the ACC, Mm -hmm. um, you know, would you want to go to the ACC at this point? Or are we better off in the Big 12? Is the ACC a dying conference that's ready to collapse? I think today, if I hadn't had to say, I would say you stay where we are. Now, that could change tomorrow with depending on what happens. But if if you start seeing Clemson, Miami, Florida State, these – school's getting picked off by the SEC, then I'll say, but then, but then the ACC is not as attractive, right? Uh, now, if they come up with some kind of deal, they're able to get Notre Dame locked in or something to make the conference more valuable, then maybe I'd like to see West Virginia go. Uh, but right now, I think we're probably better off where we are. Even though us, you know, even though we miss those rivalry games, for the benefit of the, of the program, we're, we would probably be better off in the Big 12 today than the ACC. Yeah, one, it's such a weird time because you don't know what the right move is. Like, if we leave, we might be regretting it. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is anymore. The one thing that I've been wondering about, too, is, you know, as these conferences, you know, especially the Big Ten and the SEC, as they continue to get bigger, what happens to some of the smaller schools in that country? Obviously, those paychecks are nice. But, you know, as you get in these Oklahomas and Texases and you still have your Alabamas, Texas A&Ms, et cetera, um, are they? Is there ever a situation? I'm wondering if, where those bigger schools just say we want a bigger percentage of, you know, this TV contract, and these modern tier schools that don't bring in anything, these Missouris and Rutgers and Marylands and whatnot, give them smaller pieces, and if that ends up pushing them out and helps um, bring in, you know, more teams to other conferences, um, you know, I just don't know how this all plays out because you know, obviously, money is the driver, driving factor, but. You know, these big schools have so much power right now, um, especially, you know, Texas A&M, Alabama. Those are the two big ones. And even Texas is getting up there now. Um, it's just going to be really shocking to see how much weight they have and how much pool they're going to have within their conferences to pull the strings. Agreed. Yeah, we don't know where this is going to end up. I've heard a lot of talk. Matter of fact, I heard that same sentiment today on another podcast I was listening to earlier. You know, are they going to eventually start pushing teams out? But I. I, th- I don't think they will because most of these teams bring something to the table, even if it's not, even if it's just an academic, something in the academic side, like Rutgers or, you know, something. I, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Tony Altimore, as you guys may know who he is, but from some of Brad's work, but uh, he talks a lot about how us as fans, we don't, all we look at is the football piece or the sports piece, the athletic mm-hmm. piece, but these university presidents are focused more on the academic stuff. And uh, they're not they're not adding teams just because they bring something valuable to the football field. That's a part of it, but it's not everything. 
uh, how they fit academically and everything else, culturally, all that fits or matters as well. So um, I don't see them kicking teams out, but, hey, you never know. We could get to that point. For sure. Yeah. So um, let's move on to some WVU sports a little bit. For the listeners who aren't aware, (laughs) running back Lynn J. Dixon entered the transfer portal Apparently, he was facing disciplinary action, you know, team violations. So it seemed like he was in trouble prior to the decision. And ultimately, he just decided to transfer out. Um, very disappointing. He didn't even play it down. But he had a history of these issues at Clemson. So what are your thoughts on the Lynn J. Dixon situation? Yeah, it was disappointing to hear, uh, but I'm not really worried about it. Uh, I knew when we took Lynn J. in because of his past history, I kind of – knew a little bit of his backstory as far as why he left Clemson. I was a little bit concerned that he might be a locker room problem. But I just, you know, I trusted Coach Brown. Those guys had vetted it out. And I'm sure they did to the best of their ability. But uh, I'm not – I wasn't surprised. I wasn't – I guess I was uh, surprised but not shocked, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. about it. Uh, but I'm not really worried about it because I really don't think he was going to get – higher than third on the depth chart anyway. I think Justin Johnson had kind of solidified, at least in the spring, solidified that number two spot behind Tony Mathis. Now, it will hurt from a depth perspective. We need bodies. You know, running back is a position that takes a beating. But maybe they can go out and get somebody out of the portal or maybe, you know, somebody like a Mark Rucker, I think is his name, can step up and and do something. But um, it was disappointing, but I wasn't that surprised by it. And I'm not that worried about it. Yeah, Dixon, you know, I think the thing that really intrigued me about him is he was a home run hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the three guys, Mathis, jo- Johnson, and Anderson, and, you know, anyone else who might potentially um, be on the roster that we don't know right now, do, do you see that there's anyone else who can fit that role in the offense right now? I don't know of anybody. I mean, Johnson's got some speed, but he's not a, he's not that – he doesn't have Lynn J. Dixon speed. Um, he, he was definitely going to, going to be that home run hitter guy. Uh, but I do think Johnson has enough speed to break a long one if needed. Uh, and he's a little twitchier probably than, than Mathis. Uh, but what Dixon gave us was a change of pace guy. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. with, with Johnson and, and Anderson and Mathis, we get that now. I think we have three guys that are all similar in the way they run the football. So do you yeah. think, um, are you thinking that it'll be more of a timeshare this year compared to what we've seen the past few years with Letty? I think so. I mean, I think I think Mathis will start the season out the guy, but uh, I think Justin Johnson will will be able to come in and, and relieve him more so than what Mathis did to Letty last year. Of course, Mathis was hindered by injury as well. Mm-hmm. But I do think, you know, it'll probably be a 70-30 type scenario. Won't be quite 100 like it was basically the last two seasons. I mean, poor old Letty Brown took a beating, man. <laughs> I'm with yeah. you. I, I think it'll be more of a running back by committee, and I think that'll be good for our guys. It'll keep them healthy. It's a yeah. long season, so I, I kind of like the idea of what we have at uh, running back next year. I do, too. I think Tony Mathis is going to surprise. He's not on anybody's radar right now. I think he's going to step up and surprise some people this year because I think he's hungry. He's been sitting behind Letty for, what, two years, three, two or three years now, mm-hmm. and I think he'll be ready to go. I really like Jalen Anderson. Um, I know he's not someone that we talk about as much, but I feel like, you know, potential wise, he has the ceiling to be really, really good. It's just, you know, it really hurt him last year by getting on campus so late. I think it was September when he got on campus. Yes. But, you know, if you look at his 
you know, high school stuff, um, the numbers that he put up, you know, I think he had over 500 yards receiving his senior year or something like that as well. So he can catch the ball. Um, I'm really excited to see maybe not this year, but next year or the year after to see what he ends up being. Cause I think he could be a three down guy and he has a really interesting mix of tools and size. I agree from what everything I've read and heard about him, he may be the most overall talented guy in the room, uh, but he's he come in overweight. And I've heard Coach Brown say a couple of times that he's he needs to get his weight down. So I don't know if he's done that yet. It'll be I'll be interested. It'll be interesting to see if he does. Uh, if he doesn't, you know, they better go get somebody because two guys is not enough. Yeah. Well, we um. We got two more people coming in next year. Uh, we'll talk about the recruits later, but mm -hmm. it sounds like we got two good ones uh, mm -hmm. coming in next year. It just doesn't really solve the problem for this year. <laughs> right. I agree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to make the running game work, you got to have a solid offensive line. And the Mountaineers have five returning starters on the offensive line coming into this season. And I think it's safe to say as a group, as a whole, they underperformed last year. Um, they got to be better this year. So how do you think they'll perform? I think they'll be better. I uh, I think last year I agreed with you they didn't perform. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I think we all know it. We all saw it. They did get better the second half of the season. Uh, you know they grew up a little bit. You know we had some. We had a true freshman up there. We had another guy who was a sophomore who was playing a position he had not played before. And Zach Fraser at center. And then we had uh, you know Doug Nestor played the first half of the season with basically a broken hand, so or a wrist or whatever it was. And once he got his cast off, you know he, you saw him playing better. So. I really like it. Plus they have another year together uh, to form a more of a more chemistry, which is extremely important up front. So I think, I think they will be better. And I, I really, I know Matt Moore has gotten a lot of flack, but uh, I really think Matt Moore has the, you got, Matt Moore coached at Texas tech. He actually coached Graham Harrell at, or the offensive line at Texas tech when Graham Harrell was there. So he has experience in this offense. That's his background. He's an air raid guy. So, if anybody can coach the air raid offense, it should be him. Uh, as far I think as, it's, you know, as far as the line, you know, blocking schemes and whatnot. I think uh, Graham Harrell's system could help too, because last year, you know, there was just a lot of RPO stuff. There was a lot of, you know, even with Deggy back there, he was holding the ball too long. A lot of things that really just hurt the pass protection numbers. Um, so, you know, definitely addition by subtraction in a little ways, <laughs> but also, Graham Harrell's system, quick, eat, uh, quick, simple, efficient, is going to help out a lot, too, I think. Yeah, and I don't know how much tape you guys have watched of JT Daniels, but, man, he gets rid of the football very quick. Mm. He makes decisions. He, he's not – God bless Jarrett Daggy, but he's not – you know, Jarrett Daggy just couldn't make a decision. No. <laughs> JT Daniels will make a decision, and he will put the football where it needs to be, and he'll do it quick. Uh, and he's, you know – I'm sure Jarrett Daggy was an intelligent guy and could run the offense. But JT Daniel just seems to be – I don't know. He just seems like he I – mean, he basically seems like a 30-year-old NFL veteran, just the way he conducts himself and the maturity level I see. Uh, I just think – I really think if he can stay healthy, guys, I I am I am so excited to see what he can do. Uh, I think he will surprise a lot of people uh, if he can stay – if he can stay healthy. I think that's going to be critical. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's a good tangent into our next question. Um you know, it's great that we have Deg or not Deggy in here. Um, we have Daniels in here coming in to have a solid quarterback, hopefully for the whole season, assuming he doesn't catch the injury bug again. But um, the group that's going to benefit the most from this is the wide receivers. So 
who do you think the top wide receivers are going to be this year? And um, how, how do you see that group shaking out? I like Bryce Ford Wheaton. I like what he brings. I think he'll be a really uh, good receiver for us this year. I think he's going to have a breakout year. And I wouldn't call breakout year, but uh, statistically a great year. I guess that would be a better way to put it. Uh, and I think Sam James is going to – I'd like to see him get back to what he was as a freshman just without the dropsies <laughs> that he had that year, but <laughs> uh, put up those kind of numbers. Uh, had he caught the ball better in his freshman year, he would have broken broken 1,000 yards easily. So if he can get back to that form – Along with four, and I, I think Caden Prather, you know, I think Caden Prather's got the opportunity to be the best one of the of the whole room, uh, based on his ceiling. But uh, I really think just because of experience and the fact that he, you know, this is probably his last year in the program, and he's a West Virginia legacy guy. I think Bryce Ford Wheaton is set to have a big year this year. He really impressed me in the spring game. Um, you know, I know it doesn't really mean much, but last year, you know, just going over the tape um, after every game, you know the thing he struggled with most was winning those 50, 50 balls. Um, and some of it was just ball placement from Deggy too. But in the spring game, it seemed like all of his big plays, he was jumping up and making catches. Um, obviously the defensive backs that were covering him were younger. Um, he wasn't necessarily facing our best of the best, I think yet, or they were a little bit green, but um, the ability to go up there and do it um, and showing that in, you know, basically a live game mm-hmm. really encouraged me. Yeah, and I think it shows he's been working in the offseason. I heard an interview with him. I think it may have even been on the Country Roads Trust podcast. Uh, he talked about how that was the one thing he worked on uh, was was winning 50-50 balls, and he thought he needed to do a better job of that. So, uh, And I think, like you said, the fact he was able to do it in the spring game is a good sign. Let's hope it can, you know continues throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. If someone asked me that question, I would say Bryce Ford Wheaton as well because – it's hard to believe, but he's never had a thousand yard season for how productive he's been these last few years, but he's just got so much experience and I feel like it's hit, it's there for the taking now. Now he's got a good quarterback. He's got all the reps and um, I'm with you. I think he's going to have a big year and uh, you know, Caden Prather's the easy answer. That's the one everyone says because mm-hmm. he's got the highest ceiling, but right. um, uh, he could he could have a huge year, but I'm with you. I think Bryce Ford Wheaton's going to lead the, you know, yards and maybe touchdowns. Agreed. I'm in the Prater camp um, just because I feel like the way he played the second half of the season last year, you know, there were drives. It seemed like he was the guy, you know, mm-hmm. he was making two or three catches on every drive, getting 50 yards. And then he'd kind of disappear, but he's a freshman. So that could be expected. And plus with WV's offensive problems, you know, I don't right. really poo poo on that too much, but right. I understand. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he's definitely got a huge ceiling. Oh, yeah. I think, I think we have good – and I like the fact that we have more than one guy there. We have balance. We have several guys who on any given weekend could be the number one receiver. Whether it be James, whether uh, it be Prather, even – I think even, you know, if Preston Fox can continue his momentum. Uh, even uh, uh, Reese Smith, maybe, you know, if he can break out and have a good year. I really like what we have in that room. And, and, and from what I've heard, the – the incoming freshman Jamel Williams has has looked really good too. So, uh, I think it's I think I got his name right. But anyway, uh, so he he may he may be able to contribute as well. I was going to ask you about that. What what do you think of Preston Fox? Obviously, that spring game performance was huge. But how is it real? Do you think we're going to see him play some meaningful snaps and put up numbers this year? I, I don't think it'll be what we're expecting because I, I remember seeing this with Ryan Nealon years ago. Uh, much respect to Ryan, and he's he's on the staff now. But 
uh, you know, he, he had a great spring game, and I don't even know if – I mean, he barely played during the season. And then it was uh, somebody who played for Dana, uh, Jordan Thompson, I think it was. Like, he come out every spring game and looked like a All-American. And he was a good receiver, but he was not, you know, not quite as good as he looked in the spring game. So, I think it's yet to be determined. I hope he does. I'd love to see it, being a West Virginia kid. But, you know, that's kind of – I kind of take the spring game with a lot of – a lot of salt. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I'm with you there. Um, which player do you think will have a breakout season? Any position? Like, who's not on a lot of people's radar that you think is going to have a big year? I think it's Tony Mathis. I have I have a lot of confidence in that guy. I really like him. I like his attitude, his maturity. Uh, I like his hunger. You know, you listen to interviews with him. He's like, this is my time. I think he's confident. Uh, and you saw what he did the last couple of games of the season last year. He broke some big runs and Ran like a madman. I mean, he just – I think this is – he's been waiting on this his whole career, and I think this will be the year he proves that he can, uh, you know, he can compete with with uh, the top-notch running backs in the Big 12. I'm not saying he'll be B. John Robinson by any stretch of imagination, but, but I think he'll be a top – I think he can be a top four or five back in the Big 12. Oh, yeah. I love the way he runs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he looked good in the bowl game. I didn't understand why they didn't feed him more in the bowl game. He was really the only offensive guy producing, and they just, yeah, you know, every time he touched it, it seemed like he was picking up yards. That's one of many questions from that bowl game. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's stay positive. <laughs> so I think if um, I had to choose, um, I'd probably go on the defensive side of the ball just to um, be a contrarian, I guess. Um, and I would go with Lance Dixon. I feel like. Yeah he could really have a huge year um, without Chandler Samato there in the middle kind of stealing tackles. Um, he really impressed me with the way he came back last year. I think athletically he's one of the most gifted guys we have. He has the pedigree, he checks all the boxes. Um, I think he could have a huge year. I agree with you. And it's funny. Nobody talks about him much because if I'm not mistaken, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was a five-star recruit. Four or five. State, yeah, I think. Uh, or maybe a four, but he, he was a really highly talented recruit. Chose Penn State, and of course, he ended up transferring here. But you just don't hear his name mentioned a lot by by those, yeah. at least not those outside the program, anyway. Uh, and I tell you what, I really like Lee Kuba too in the, in the middle. I think he, based on what the coaching staff's been saying about him and how he's looked, uh, I honestly think that might be one of the reasons Chandler Samato transferred is because he might have lost his spot anyway. I think that's how good Lee Kuba might be. Um. A little bit off topic, but whenever we um, were reviewing the incoming recruiting class earlier in the year, I swear I watched probably three or four different YouTube videos just to learn how to say his last name. <laughs> I, I, I think I'll say it differently every video, every time. I, I've heard it said Cuba. I've heard it said Copoba. Who knows? What is the actual pronunciation? Do you know? I think it's Copja. Copja. Okay. Something like that. At least that's how the announcers said it in the games I, I was watching. I'm, I'm sure of. I'll probably continue to butcher it, but. Yeah, I mean, the, the the highlight videos he has, it seems like he could be a really exciting player. And plus, we got I'm, – I'm blanking on the name, but we got that kid from Miami, too, who, um, you know, can fill out some uh, playing time. So I do like the depth that we've added at linebacker. But um, what are your overall thoughts on the upcoming football season? Is WVU going to have a solid year? I think we finish eight with eight or nine wins, depending, you know, on how things break. Uh, potential to win ten. I think I think the talent's there to win ten if things break our way, uh, and the defense can hold their own. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about the defensive backfield, 
But I think our front seven will be good enough maybe to offset some of that. Even though I know we lost, you know, we lost uh, uh, the guy up front, but to Miami, but uh, and his name, I'm totally drawing a blank. Yeah, Mesador, probably, probably a good thing. I don't forgot about it, <laughs> but uh, but no, I, we did lose him and that was a huge loss. But the fact that we got a guy to step in that already has a lot of experience to me is huge with Jordan Jefferson. So, uh, I really like what we have up front, and of course, Dante's you know, Dante's Dante. And I think Taj Austin can have a big year this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, even the backups, Sean Martin, uh, Jalen Thornton, I think those guys, and even the the new guys, Zaki Lawton, the West Virginia kid out of Charleston, I, I'm hearing good things about him too. So I, I think I really like what we have up front. Um, so I think eight wins is probably my, my expectation for this year. Yeah. I think that's fair. I know um, Tyler and I have talked about it in other episodes, but we were kind of like, Somewhere around the seven number. I think I'm a little bit more optimistic than Tyler is. I, I'd probably go around eight. Um, but I do think that there is a world where, you know, the defensive backfield is okay. I think winning with the defensive line is a way underrated way to play defense because, especially in the college game, if mm-hmm. you control the line of scrimmage, you can really disrupt things. And we saw that last year in the Oklahoma game. Yep. Um, but you know, I definitely could see a world where we are somehow in the conference championship race going in late in the season, because if it just depending on if everything clicks right, we have the quarterback, we have the experience on that defensive line to manhandle offensive lines. If our offensive line, you know, grows like everyone's kind of expecting it to veteran running back, um, lots of skill at receiver. Um, it just seems like something that could happen. Um, so here's hoping. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I'm guessing about seven or eight wins. That's that's where I'm at. I, I feel like a lot of fans are acting like eight wins is a slam dunk, and then we can overachieve and win 10, and I'm just not in that camp. Like I said, I think they can win eight. I think that's a very fair prediction, but it just seems like a lot of fans are, you know, over-predicting, like, how good this team's going to be, that eight's just a given, and then anything above's gravy. And I, I'm not sure. If I'm yeah, and I, I'm, I might be guilty of that, but you're probably right. I mean, as a Mountaineer fan, I don't know that we're ever. I think we've been trained now to always be pessimistic, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and never get our hopes up too high. But there, but lo and behold, every season I do it. Um, when I start following recruiting and hear what's going on, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> but uh, I jump back on the bandwagon. But um, I think eight is a realistic number. I, but then I see all of these pundits or, or media people putting us at four and five wins and i'm going i'm either they're stupid and don't follow <laughs> west virginia which i i think i think a lot of those guys honestly just don't know the western program well enough and they just throw a number out or i'm missing something is there something there that i don't see because i'm a fan and i've got my blue and gold glasses on what am i missing uh i don't know all i know is what i'm hearing by coach you know the coaches press conferences uh from the media local media which they all, they do have a tendency to paint everything rosy, but um, I did hear this, and I don't know if you guys had a chance, but Golden Blue Dude interviewed Joe Manchin a couple weeks ago on a show. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh-uh. Joe Manchin made a comment that he, he saw Neil Brown not long ago, and they had and Neil Brown told him in kind of a private conversation. He said, "I just want to let you know you're going to like what you see from us this year. We're going to make you proud." So, Coach wow. Brown, Coach Brown, I don't think he would have come out and said that if he didn't know something. Yeah. And four or five wins, that seems very low. Um, 
you know, I, I can't vision that. And I hope not because I'm not sure Neil Brown can, uh, you know, make it another season if he only wins four games. Well, I've got to, I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to have a video out tomorrow uh, kind of talking about that in, to an extent, or at least that's part of it, but um, about why this season is so critical for West Virginia, multiple reasons. Yeah, 100 percent. And that's a good segue into our next question. You know, West Virginia has been around 500 ever since Neil Brown's been here. And it feels like we're right there. It feels like we're ready to take that big leap forward. So what does West Virginia need to do to take that step? I mean, to me, we've done what we need to do. We hire an offensive coordinator. We got a quarterback. Uh, we, we've got the guys up front now who are more experienced. Uh, we're recruiting better. I mean, honestly, I think we have done what we needed to do. It's just can – will it translate the wins on the football field? Can they do the X's and O's part, the coaching up part that they need to do? I mean, to me, they've done it. It's just a matter of uh, making it happen. I mean, that's that's how I look at it. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's a good way of looking at it. They have – you're right. They have done what everyone's been asking them to do with a new coordinator, getting a, a quarterback that we know can produce. So, I'm with you there. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, I love the moves that they've done. And, you know, I like the stance that Neil Brown kind of took towards the beginning of the year, which was a huge departure from the way he handled things, you know, even the previous season when it came to the transfer problem. You know, when it, when Mesador transferred, he was open, honest, frank, sincere, yes. and talked about it. When all those other transfers were happening during the season, before the season last year, and he wasn't saying a word about it really – um, that rubbed me the wrong way, but him kind of changing his stance on that was a bit, it, it meant the world to me. Um, I know it seems small, but that was huge. Um, so that gave me some confidence. I, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but I felt the sentiment about Neil Brown completely shift when he did that. Did you guys sense that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Half of our fan base was wanting the guy fired. They were tired of the silence. He'd done that. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, everybody loves coach Brown again. Um, yeah. Now obviously he's got to win games to keep that love going but and here, here's my thoughts on that Brandon I agreed with you I, I I didn't like the silence but then I've got as the more I think about it talk about it read about it listen to multiple podcasts and everything under the sun here's my take on it I think a lot of those transfers were coaches decisions oh interesting because of uh, I've heard a lot of players make comments in podcasts and whatnot that um, the, the the locker room is the best it's ever been and I've wow. heard some of the coaches talk about how there were a few guys that were in the locker room. I've even heard Coach Brown say this. He said, we had some guys in the locker room that weren't really pulling the rope in the same direction, and there were a lot of clicks. But he, he, then he said, those guys aren't here anymore. So it makes me think, and I've heard and I've heard um, maybe even John Flowers. I know this isn't a basketball discussion, but it ties in. On his podcast, talk about how a lot of times coaches will – encourage players to transfer for multiple mm -hmm. reasons to make a spot for somebody else or whatever. Uh, and they're not going to come out and talk about that, you know? So I think there could have been, I don't think that's the case in all of them. Uh, but I do think a few of those cases may have been either mutual decisions and or coaches encouraging the players to move on. Interesting. Yeah. That's very Bob Huggins ish. I mean, Huggins is, you know, notorious for doing that. I mean, what was it? The Iran Harris, yeah. Um, era. Whenever he was on the team, he basically yeah. kicked off the entire team. Yeah. Didn't kick him I mean, off, but and, and Coach Brown could have done something similar. I mean, he may have gotten tired of the 
you know, the clicks. And, and, and most of those guys, majority of them were, were Dana Hogerson recruits too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people miss that. Uh, yes, we had a lot of transfers, but probably 90% of them, and I'm just making that number up, I don't was Dana Hogerson recruits who didn't fit Neil Brown's culture. Neil Brown and Dana Hogerson are completely opposite of each other. Uh, I mean, you, and you, any players that's ever done interviews will tell you that. And uh, I just don't think the guys he recruited may not necessarily fit Neil Brown's philosophy. Absolutely. Yeah, and and if they're not happy, they're going, they could potentially cause problems in the locker room or at least, at least not be, uh, may not necessarily pull the team back, but it don't help the team. If that makes sense. Oh, for sure. And that's one thing that seems completely different about Neil Brown versus Dana too, is that Neil Brown, for whatever reason, seems to be very successful at getting guys into WVU, whether it be transfer portal or recruiting. So what are your thoughts? What what makes Neil Brown such a great recruiting? And what do you think of this upcoming 2023 class? Uh, obviously, I'm very excited about the class. I think last I looked, we were eight, 16th or 18th in the nation, maybe even a little better. But – and we know that will change. But uh, I like multiple things. One, I think we got to give credit to the administration and those who – donated money because I think the new facilities are not hurting us at all. I think it's really helping us in recruiting. Number two, I think Neil Brown's family approach to making it a family environment. I've heard multiple recruits talk about the family atmosphere. I think that's big. Uh, You know, he started that fifth quarter program to help guys with life after football. I mean, there's just things like that that really weren't there that he's implemented. I think is is huge. And especially if if you're talking to a mom in a living room, they want to know more about the, just football. They want to know what you're going to do for my son or, you know, when he – outside of football or after the football's over. And Neil Brown's implementing that stuff that I don't think Dana was really – I think Dana was 100% football all the time. Uh, and I think Neil's more focused on you, the person, uh, more most more so than just you. And I'm not saying Dana's a bad guy. I didn't mean it in that regard. But I, that was just a different mindset, different, different philosophy. Uh, and I think that's attractive to a lot of players and a lot of parents. And, and then, too, let's don't forget, um, West Virginia is number one in the new Big 12 in NIL money, too, guys. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't realize that. I saw it yesterday on Twitter, yeah. Yeah. We're averaging $22,000 per player right now on NIL. Wow. That's surprising, for sure. Me, too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think Dana was more of just, you know, a businessman. Like, hey, I'm going to get you to the NFL yeah. and – and that's how the players approached it. And mm-hmm. I do feel like Neil Brown is more personable and he brings that, you know, this is a team effort mentality, which is good because I feel like for smaller schools like a West Virginia, who's not always getting the five-star recruits, that's kind of what you need to be successful. You need everyone to buy in. You're not having, you know, a bunch of five-star recruits just out there, you know, doing just outperforming everyone. So I agree with you there. And that's again, not a knock on Dana. It's just how those two guys coach. I think one thing that helps too, is that for WVU getting a, you know, a highly rated four-star guy is basically like getting a five-star. So those four stars who might go to Penn state or Ohio state um, and get less NIL money might come to WVU and get more NIL money because they're Mm -hmm. a superstar here versus Mm -hmm. just another drop in the bucket at Ohio state. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, right now, I found last – you guys will love this. I was uh, on Twitter last night, and I saw a tweet from uh, – or no, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I went out to on3.com. When I saw that tweet about the NIL rating, I went to on3.com because that's who uh, keeps track of that stuff. And I found 
NIL value of the 2023 class. Guess who's number two? Rodney Gallagher. Really? Wow. Yes. You got a bag. <laughs> yes. Now, it's, that doesn't mean how much money they've gotten. It's how much they're, they're saying this is how valuable they are because of not only their on-field ability, but how well they do at marketing themselves on social media. And oh, like interesting. Rodney Gallagher has a huge social media following, and he's on That's right, all the time. So he also um, is known for what playing with uh, Bronny James on that AAU team. Yes, saw a picture of that today. And uh, what that does, if you're if you're a, a company and you and you want to pick somebody to uh, promote your product or your you know your services, you're going to want to pick somebody who's strong on has a strong social media presence. So that makes that player more attractive than maybe somebody else who's not going to do much. That's what um. What team was it? That girl from WVU who ended up getting picked, what, fourth overall? Um, I forgot what team drafted it, her. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, one of the reasons that I think she was drafted so high because she had, like, the most Instagram followers or something Yeah, um, of any college player. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, she's already out of the game, if I'm not mistaken, or at least out of the WNBA. But, but but you know, she I'm sure she got paid while she was there. But uh, Oh, for sure. But no, it's you probably it's, make more uh, money off Instagram anyway. <laughs> I'm probably so, and and modeling. She's she's a beautiful woman. But uh, I think I just I think West Virginia is doing better in the NIL space than we may have expected them to. I think Country Roads Trust is is doing things the right way, and from everything I see, they're doing it the legal way. When you see guys doing camps, you see them doing you know the podcasts and all that stuff, wearing sponsor mm. T-shirts, and I think that's what it's intended to be. Um. Uh, because all the guys that I see that are already getting paid are already here and on campus. Gallagher, that Gallagher's earning, you know, he's bringing up his value. That doesn't necessarily mean they're paying him now, you know. So hopefully they're not. But <laughs> who knows? Did you see the um, the video that came out? I want to say it was last week of the Texas A and M coach um, in the stadium with the recruits and saying those guys are going to pay you a lot of money to come here. And he was pointing to the box seats or something like that. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was yeah, bad. Somebody, timing. somebody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jimbo, I, I'm sure Jimbo wasn't happy about that. Uh, oh no. <laughs> after he's, after he's up there, up here claiming that they're not paying anybody and all this. <laughs> break. Everybody's paying. It's, it's, it's just part of the game. now. It's legal now, you know? Right. Yeah, you might as well be upfront about it. Um, do you have a favorite commit so far for this 2023 class? Anyone sticking out? Uh, I mean, obviously Gallagher's the easy pick because he's the highest rated. But I also, I'll tell you, I like Raheem Jeter. Uh, or not, well, not Raheem Jeter. Uh, I like him too, but Jaheim White is who I'm thinking about. The running back. Oh, yeah. I think Jaheim White may end up being a four-star before his senior year's over. Um, wow. And I really like Justin Benton too, that defensive lineman that we got out of Georgia that we beat Georgia for, I think he's going to be a stud. That's probably mm-hmm. my, my top three off the top of my head. It'll be interesting favorite... to see how Trotter performs. Jeremiah mm-hmm. Trotter's son. Yes. Um, you know, I think That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I was going to – I mean, I think he'll be very good. I agree. I think so, too. I'm excited. I think he could end up being a four-star, too. But I think he's a pretty high three-star, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So, he could end up being a four – you know, a lot of these guys could get bumped to four stars, which would, you know – obviously boost our uh, recruiting rankings up. And we still have one four-star who's got us in his top five out of Roanoke, Virginia, uh, who's supposed to commit sometime this month. I uh, can't remember nice. his name off the top of my head, but, uh, 
you know, so we still got we've still got some pretty big names out there that we might be able to grab. Yeah, I definitely think this class is going to be really, really good. I mean, I just you know, whenever I went through the list um, a week or so ago, I don't see a name on there where I'm like, I don't know where this guy fits. I feel mm-hmm. like they did a really good job of identifying guys that mm-hmm. are going to play or could develop into someone who's going to get a lot of playing time in the next couple of years. I agree. And, uh, but, but what scares me is when you look at the recruiting rankings, Baylor is recruiting better. Cincinnati is recruiting. Like, I mean, they're killing it on the recruiting trail. And, you know, both of those teams are going to be playing uh, in conference. Then you've got uh, see uh, Texas Tech killing it on the. I mean, I'm like, man, West Virginia is improving their game, but so are our conference foes. Man, they're all they're all improving their recruiting. So, who knows? Yeah, I was shocked to see Texas Tech up there. Yeah, me too. And I think a lot of that is just based on the number of they got so many commits early, uh, and you know how the number of commits you have has a lot to do with where you rank mm-hmm. rated. Uh, they look at that as much as they do talent level, but. Uh, so they're, they're start, slowly starting to drop a little bit, but they did, man. I can't believe he got so many commits that quick. I mean, he's he's hitting the Brand new coach. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's good for our conference, though. We were just talking about if the Big 12 can survive. I mean, if all these teams are recruiting mm-hmm. well, that's, you know, if you, look, if you look at it big picture-wise, that's good for all of us. It, it is good. It is a good thing. If we can, if West Virginia can land a top 25 class, I'll be happy. Oh, yeah. So, and I think we're heading in that direction. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we had for WVU football. Um, For uh, our next question for you is, what is your favorite WVU game of all time, any sport? It's a tough one. I've got multiple ones. Uh, Can I give you two? One basketball one? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Favorite football game would be the 2005 Louisville game when Pat White made his entrance. Me too. uh, that was the first game I'd ever attended with my dad. Uh, we were at the game. We are planning to leave about halfway through the fourth quarter. They bring Pat White in. You know the rest of the story. Triple overtime victory over Louisville. Put West Virginia football. I mean, from there on, it was boom. Probably the be- best era of West Virginia football, at least in the last 30 years. Um, and then basketball, I would have to say the Elite Eight victory over Kentucky in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always my go-to. I love yeah. that game. Yeah. I, I, I tell you though, uh, there's so many good basketball games I, that the biggest championship game that year was big too. When they mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Buzzer bigger against, I think it was Georgetown. Yep. And then, uh, and then you've got, yeah. Then you've got the, uh, the Duke went over Duke uh, and one of Huggins' first NCAA tournaments at West Virginia. And then you've got, you know, the John Beeline team that upset Wake Forest. I mean, there's been a lot of great basketball games, memories. Uh, unfortunately, not as many in football in recent yeah. years. But, yeah, but I think the reason that the Kentucky game stands out to me is just looking at that Kentucky roster. I mean, oh, yeah. John Wall, uh, Demarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, Patrick P- Patterson, um, you know, all those guys had multiple years in the NBA. They all mm-hmm. got paid. I mean, John Wall's still getting money from someone somewhere. Um, so yeah. it's just crazy with, you know, what a ragtag kind of group of guys from WVU. I mean, we had talent, but it wasn't like we were, you know, top five, your top yeah. 30 NBA player type talent. On We had, we had, uh, we had three guys on that team that ended up getting drafted. Well, Devin and uh, Deshaun got drafted. Yep. 
I don't think KJ got drafted, but he did play in the NBA for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a freshman or sophomore on that team. Yeah. Uh, but then you got guys like Joe Missoula, who was just – he was just freaking tough, man. Just tough as nails. Took, didn't take no for an answer. He was he was getting that ball to the back rim and you wasn't going to stop him. I mean, he just – and then uh, guys like Cam Thurman, who would just flat out just bruise you inside, man. Just Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember Long watching him. I remember watching him play Luke Herringody. You guys remember Luke Herringody from Notre Dame? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. And Cam Thurman yeah. guarding him, and he shut Luke Herringody down. Man, this guy who's probably fifty pounds heavier than him, taller than him, but he just he would he was just tough, man, just tough. And that's the kind of guy Hugs Hugs can win with. For sure, I loved yeah. uh, Missoula too. Um, you know, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, um, I was reading, um or maybe I was watching a video. I don't remember which one it was, but about whenever Brad Stevens quit the head coaching job and moved to the front office um, and they hired um, their new head coach, Udoka, I think his name is, um, all the players came over and said, you need to bring back Joe Mazzola because he is our guy. He's, that's awesome. And um, it just, you know, that's great. I mean, I always thought that he would be a guy who'd be great to replace Huggins, but it sounds like he's probably going to end up getting an NBA job before that job opens back up. Yeah, so he, he was actually him. in the running for an NBA job, uh, head coaching job. Utah. Utah, yeah. So I think you're right. I think he's probably going to stay in the NBA. Uh, wouldn't surprise me to see maybe Darius Nichols at some point be at West Virginia or uh, Deshaun's in the coaching now, you know, so you never know where that might land. But uh, Beeline, too. He's um, mm-hmm. is he at Fairmont State still, or did he go somewhere else? I don't know. I'm not sure where Beeline's at now. That's – I'm gonna have to Google that one because I like keeping track of where these guys are. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good to see all these guys have success after their playing days. Um, I know you haven't been doing it long, but what is the coolest or most fond memory you have as a West Virginia content creator? Mm, that's a tough one. Uh, hitting a thousand subs was was pretty cool. Uh, that's like the moment when you can start making money and that's kind of the that's when you know you've you've i don't i don't want to say made it but you're p- people know you're legit i guess when you hit that thousand number um oh, i gotta think about that one man it's a tough one yeah i mean i'd say for us it's just being able to interview players um you know that was just really cool i think the very first one we ever got to interview was Derek culver and I just remember as it was happening, I'm like, I can't believe I'm sitting here mm-hmm. talking to, you know, a, a West Virginia player like this. Yeah. When I was a kid, this is what I always dreamed of. Yeah, I, I've gotten to interview. I haven't gotten to interview anymore. I, I've interviewed a couple older, older players. I interviewed Brian Joswiak. If you guys know who he is, I've interviewed Eugene Napoleon. Oh, yeah. Uh, from mm-hmm. the 88 team. I've interviewed uh, Quincy Wilson. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Quincy's yeah, from our neck of the woods. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a, uh, when I interviewed uh, Tyler Sumpter from this past year's team, the punter. So mm-hmm. I've had some pretty decent interviews. That that's pretty. That is pretty. I had forgotten about that, but that's. I'd say interviewing um, Quincy Wilson was probably for me because I. That's one moment in West Virginia sports history that I will never forget. That, that run. run against Miami, even though we lost that game. That run against Miami is one of the most iconic plays in West Virginia football history. Oh, for sure. And it's what he's yeah. known for, really. So interviewing him, it, it almost put me back in time, you know, and uh, was kind of like interviewing a somewhat of a hero of mine as a, as a – I was, I don't know, in my early 20s, I guess, when that happened, or, or mid-20s, whatever. But 
so that was pro- that was probably a cool memory. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're but that that would be one too for me. Yeah, we're we're big fans of Quincy. He went to a school not too far from us. You know, he used to beat up our uh, high school, and yeah. so um, and when he was at WVU, we were just teenagers. So we have a lot of fond memories yeah. of him playing at WVU and even in high school. Yeah, he's coaching. He's coaching college ball in Florida now. Um, I can't think of the name of the university he's at, but yeah, he's he's at a school Sorry. down there coaching at the college level now. So that's awesome. His first head coaching. Seeing, that's great. I love seeing you know some alum getting into these positions because you know eventually down the line it'd be great to have you know if Neil Brown doesn't work out, fingers crossed he does. But yeah, um, it's great to have someone with connections to the state and you, the university in that position because I feel like they stick around a little bit longer. Yeah. I think I think really uh, just to another answer to that question, I just really like as a content creator. I'm sure you guys do too. When you have uh, listeners or followers, uh, fans, whatever you want to call them, that will reach out, and make comments, reach out to you, and say, "Hey, man, I really love your work," or "Great job." Uh, I mean, that kind of stuff just. I love that. I mean, that's what keeps me going every day and keeps me doing what I'm doing. That to me is the best moment of anything is getting those, those comments and uh, responses from people. Cause you know, cause I'll, you guys know it only takes one negative remark to ruin your whole day. I mean, somebody being a jerk or just being, an, you know, trying to throw shade at what you're doing or whatever, but you get, then you get two or three comments. It makes all that go away. Absolutely. <laughs> It, Do you it feel like, like you have, uh, uh, it seems like you have a lot of good interactions too compared to some other um, content creators. Is that true though? Like, are a majority of these interactions positive? Majority of them are positive. I mean, I, I get a negative one. And obviously, the more views you get on a video or the more listens you get on a podcast, obviously, the more negative you're going to get. But it's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's majority positive, man. It's a uh, majority of people out there are, are, are nice people, I think, but uh, <laughs> there's always a jerk. There's always a bad apple in the bunch, as they say, but it's been mostly positive. That's good. Sorry, Brandon, I cut you off there. Oh, I was just going to, I was going to ask the same thing that you were asking. So, how about um, you guys? I, let me, th- if is it okay if I had, what, what are you about? What's your guys, other than the interviews, uh, what is your coolest moment as far as interaction with fans and things like that? I mean, do you guys get a lot of pop, more positive than negative too? I'll let you take that one, Brandon. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, it, it, it comes and goes. A lot of the time we get negative comments because of our association with Brad and the voice of Motown. Right. Um, so we get inadvertently dragged under the bus. They're not talking about us. They're talking about Brad and assuming that we're Brad, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, uh, especially on Twitter, I feel like everywhere else people are a little more receptive. Um, for a while there, you know, um, people were kind of like saying, you know, mean things. Um, so we kind of took them head on. We weren't being rude to them, but we were just trying to engage in conversation. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I feel like our conversations with people on social media have been pretty positive since then. Um, you know, there still is some of that collateral damage anytime right. Brad posts anything controversial, but, um, you know, there's a method to his madness. <laughs> I understand. No, I get it. Um, we, uh, I, and I, I forgot what I was going to say, but basically, it's along the same lines. I mean, people don't, people don't know what it takes. Uh, not saying we're great or anything, but you know what we do. We're putting ourselves ourselves out there, and the fact that I'm, and the fact that you take those head on, I think earns people's respect. 
uh, just like, you know, I've questioned Brad on a lot of things and he and I have had some back and forth and he's always, he's never backed away. He's always been up front. He never, he never hides from it. Uh, and I, I respect that, you know, uh, he never shies away from a question. He never shies away from criticism. He, he has extremely thick skin, uh, which is something I don't always have. Uh, I'm still, I'm still gaining thicker skin as I do this more, but, uh, and I, I have a lot of respect for for that and the fact that he he does have that thick skin and is willing to take on his his uh his doubters or his you know haters whatever you want to call it head on. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's built different. I think. I mean I know whenever me and Tyler would you know get some people saying negative things, we would message each other back and forth privately, just say it being extremely rude and mean things that we wouldn't say out in public about people. Right. Um, but, but then we're thinking about what we can say to, you know, that's nice and courteous and engaging to say to someone. So, right. um, a lot of cursing under our breath while we're, I understand. Hey, trust me, man. I've had, I've, I've had some conversations with people. I'm thinking, God, I'd like to tell this person to just <laughs> shove it, but Hell yeah. it probably wouldn't be great for my brand or my channel. So I'll, yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I've had, I've, I've had a couple of times I've had to block people because they just get on, they're just trolls. And all they're trying to do is start trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have those occasionally. I'm sure you guys have had them, but, uh, but yeah, majority of people uh, are just, there are a lot of people who are just brutally honest and they just, but I'll, here's what I've, the, the, it, the interaction with those, if you'll interact with those people and answer their questions. And like you said, take them on, they will respect you for that. And you will likely gain a follower. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. Cause most of them are just jumping on a bandwagon. Like it's not even their own thoughts. They're just saying what they think everyone else wants to hear. And then once you start talking to them, yeah, they open up and you, you get to see their real opinions and real personality. I I try to be of an open-minded person, man. Uh, You know, I've called Brad out for some things he's written um, and some things he said, but I also try to be fair. And if he writes something positive or something good, I try to point it out to people and I try to, you know, make it aware, you know, uh, I don't want to jump John the bandwagon just because everybody else said block Brad Smith. I, I want to give him a chance, you know, give mm-hmm. him a chance to explain himself, uh, find out, you know, what, what the method to his madness is like you talked about earlier. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, you, uh, he says well, a lot of positive things about you as well. So thank uh, you. Definitely. Thank you. Why do you hey, uh, hey listeners? I didn't say anything positive about Brad Smith. Wipe that from your mind. Because <laughs> I know half of you are going to be mad at me for saying something pop. No, I don't care. So on the, the topic of Brad, what what do you think? Why do you think he has such a target on his back on the social media platforms for the stuff he posts? I think it's because he has a tendency to come at people individually and personally at times uh and be extremely negative. And a lot of people don't like that. Uh, I've even I've even gotten some some pushback on some negative videos I've done that were not even near as negative as what Brad has done. Uh, some people just hate negativity. Uh, so, and I think that's what it is. And to be honest, sometimes Brad can come across. And I'm sure he's going to hear this, but sometimes he can come across as a little bit a uh, little bit cocky, a little bit you know, and a little bit arrogant and. Uh, I think that kind of rubs people the wrong way. Uh, you know, so I think that's probably why. Yeah. I mean, I think talking to Brad personally for nearing a year now, I mean, 
Um, I, it's you kind of see a different side of things, and he's been great to us individually. He's mm-hmm. really nice. I mean, down to earth. Um, and then seeing the th- things that he can turn around and and tweet and post, you know, it's it's kind of interesting the dynamic between the two. And then you, right. um, you know, knowing him kind of not not face to face personally, but through just messaging and talking on the phone, um, seeing the things that people say about him online. Me and Tyler are always like, man, like he's such a nice guy though. <laughs> like yeah. well, he is. Like you said, he Brad is. I mean, he's told me before multiple times his his purpose or his strategy, his business model, whatever you want to call it. He doesn't want to paint everything as sunshine and rainbows all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, you know, now lately, I give him credit. He's been posting a lot. He's he's been knocking it out of the park lately with some of his articles. Um, he's been I agree. Lot, he's, he's been positive. He's been you know. Uh, talking about the recruiting stuff really well, um, the West Virginia ACC stuff. I mean, he's been doing really well with that, and I, I give him a shout out for that. But you know, when he does stuff like the Larry Harrison article, I think he went. I think that goes a little too far, you know. So, um, but that's you know that's his. That's what he works for him. So, it is what it is. Yeah, and I I can you know I, I like to have the balance of positive and negative. That's yeah. Something that me and Tyler have always done during all of our podcasts. Even when we're winning games, we always talk about some thing that the team could do better um, just to balance it out. Because, you know, I feel like our style as um, I don't know what you want, a media personality, whatever, um, is to just lay all the facts out there and try to be as open and transparent about everything as possible. And if, you know, whenever the team's doing bad, like last year, whenever Jared Deggie was bad, the offense was bad, everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, we just didn't really have very many good things to say. But, you know, we're not going to make things unicorns and rainbows whenever things yeah. are going bad, right. going bad. So um, and, and it, I think and I do think our mainstream media in West Virginia and, I, and I, I think it's I think it's everywhere. I don't think it's just West Virginia, but I think they have a tendency to be to be overly positive. They oh, yeah. Want, you know, uh, Brad and I have talked about that, but when I interviewed him on my show, he talked. We talked about that, and I actually agree with him on that. Uh, for whatever reason, nobody will. You know, nobody was asking, "Why are we having so many guys transfer?" You know, and of course, if they did, he just gave a generic answer anyway. But now I've heard through the grapevine that they're afraid to ask those questions because they're afraid they'll lose their credentials. You know, mm-hmm. maybe and maybe that's true. I don't know. Uh, so if that's the case, then I, you know, you can't blame them for that. That's their career, right? Yeah. But, uh, see, Brad doesn't have to worry about that. Exactly. <laughs> I don't either. Now, I, I, I'm like you guys. I try to be, I try to be realistic, but I don't want to come. I'm not going to go on my show and say this guy sucks or this guy, you know, is a bum. You know, oh I, yeah, I agree I, with I, that. I won't do that. Um, but if I say that hey, he needs to do this better, I'll do that. Right. I just try mm-hmm. to do it in a way that's respectful. Uh, I'm not sure I do it all the time, but I try. Yeah, yeah I'm I the same way. <laughs> that these media people, they probably feel like they have a personal relationship with these coaches too, which I'm it sure does. makes it harder to be critical. It does, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I I want to be. Uh, I'm like you guys. I want to be real, but at the same time, uh, I want to be respectful because I don't want to. Uh, you know, I don't want to be known as as that. Oh, that, that just crazy YouTuber that is constantly hating on West Virginia or you know, whatever. But at the same time, you know, if I'm positive all the time, then what, what good is it? What purpose am I serving? Yeah. You know, uh, 
So I don't know. It's it's you guys know it's sometimes it's a fine line to walk, especially when you're a fan and you're emotional uh, after a game. And I want to do a post game reaction video, uh, but you know what? Usually those are the videos that fans like to see. They want to see that they want to see us for who we are. Uh, so and I think folks like us and like Brad who aren't tied down by some credentials or whatever, we can be more free to. I think this is the media is going this direction anyway. I mean, YouTube, podcasting, freelancing. If, if I, I guess that's what I call what Brad does, whatever. I don't know what he, but I don't know if I use the right term. But uh, I mean, to be, if you, I mean, if you look on Twitter, most of the most of the information is from those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Now, For sometimes sure. they're not accurate, but by gosh, sometimes they're dead on the money too. So, you know, you've got to. So I, I think. Uh, I think we're where it's at. And I say we meaning this, you know, YouTube podcasting, the uh, social, social media networking type stuff is, is the future of media anyway. Oh, for sure. I agree. Can't agree more with that. Um, I mean, this is our first off season. I guess it's your first off season as well. There's no football, there's no basketball. So um, what's your strategy for creating quality content during the off season? Because like we said earlier, you do get a lot of fan interaction, which we've been trying to get more of. Um, and maybe our biggest problem is we weren't on YouTube until, you know, just recently we started posting there cause we were trying to push like Spotify and Apple right. podcasts. But uh, I think what we're starting to learn is that, yeah, you're right. YouTube is the way to go. Yeah. I actually, uh, I get my stories. I, if I don't have a story, I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, obviously, I listen to as many podcasts as I can, uh, read as many articles as I can, things like that in my free time to try to get video ideas. And then uh, as far as fan interaction goes, uh, the more interaction you get on a video, the more the YouTube algorithm picks up your video and the more it promotes it. So, uh, and, and two, from a, from a, from a personal standpoint, um, your fans appreciate it when you respond to them. It makes them know you care. Uh, at least, at least hit that heart button. Let them know you saw their comment. Um, it's, it's impossible to answer all of them, but I, I try my very best to. But you know, it's, it's impossible. I don't know these 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 creators that have like 100,000. I don't know how they. I don't know what they do uh, as far as comments go, but. Um, I'm, I'm not big enough yet to where I, 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 where I have to worry about it as much. I can still see and respond to majority of my, of my uh, comments. Yeah. I feel like, you know, that this off season um, we've done a lot more interviews than we did during when sports were going on, but, you know, we tried to do a, diff- a couple different things like with, um, we did a, what was it? Top 50 or a hundred um, WV football players of the 21st century. We did like a, more of a nostalgia based podcast on the, what was it? The wake forest WVU basketball game from 2003 or whatever it was, Um, you know, just try out different things, but you know, it's been interesting because I feel like um, there are definitely times where most of the stuff that we're, we're posting is still getting as many views, if not more than what we were posting during the season. So um, which I think is good. And it just shows how, dedicated WVU sports fans oh, are absolutely it's great i've some 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 fellow youtubers that i've done some some work with uh are are fans of teams who they can do a video on their own team 
and it doesn't, you know, it might get two or 300 views. They can do a video on, and I can do a video on what, and and we're the same size channel now. Keep that in mind. I can do a video on West Virginia and get a thousand of the same type. West Virginia vans are are passionate, man. And I'll tell you something else, guys. Uh, You Facebook groups, West Virginia fans are phenomenal in Facebook groups. They don't block you for posting your videos and your content. And a lot of these fan bases, if you post anything that ain't Sports Illustrated or or twenty four seven Sports, they won't let you post it. You know because you're not legit. Uh, West Virginia fan, West Virginia groups for the most part will let you, and they're interested in watching and reading what you have, uh, which helps. Uh, but some of these fan bases are just not as active for for whatever reason. But we're just blessed to to be part of a fan base that is. Yeah, we got there was one group that I was trying to join. I don't think it's the one that I'm a part of already on Facebook that uh, whenever we interviewed Deuce McBride, I wanted to post the article on there mm-hmm. and they blocked me <laughs> just because of the points of Motown name. Well, that, um, that that's yeah, that's, that's that was really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> there are still a lot of West Virginia fans who. Uh, I also posted it on the 24-7 board, and it lasted for, I think it was 50 minutes before they took it down. That was refreshing to say. Let's see. For whatever reason, they they absolutely hate his guts. I know. (laughs) And they're petty, too. Like, like as soon as we joined Twitter, like a month after we started the podcast, um, Tyler was messaging, I think, one of the 24-7 guys Mm -hmm. about something. And then all of them blocked us. Mike, Chris. Wow. Their mods, they just blocked yeah. us on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. Well, in, in, in their defense, Brad does kind of like to stoke the fire. So, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Collateral damage. <Yeah. laughs> so, I don't know. But, uh, but, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, I'm staying out of that fight. I'll let you guys, I'll let Brad, you guys fight to that, fight to that out. <laughs> it just gives us more gas to, to keep going. Yeah. For <laughs> sure. All right, man. Uh, do you have anything else, Brandon? That's all I had. No, that's all I had too. Yeah. Well, hey, Coos. Um, I mean, we appreciate it. This was a good interview. And uh, for anyone, I'm sure most of you already follow him. But if not, check out Coos's Corner on uh, YouTube and please subscribe. Yeah, thank you. And I'm also on Twitter at Coos, C O U Z 206. Look me up there. For sure. Definitely. All right. Well, well, thanks, man. We got to do this again, maybe closer to football season. Maybe yeah, we can uh, start giving some predictions. Sure. I'd love to, man. I uh, I can talk West Virginia football for hours. I uh, I hope I didn't talk too much, guys. I have a tendency to ramble. Oh, no. This is great. Thank you. I appreciate the time and uh, for having me on your show. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, man. For thanks for listening, yeah. everyone.